when Jenny and I were young and we had no kids, we had a set of friends, Graham and Colleen, who had a kid named Spencer. And we would go over to their house and we would hang out a lot. And both Graham and Colleen took great delight in saying to me, Max, you should change Spencer's diaper. He needs to be changed. You know, that would be good practice for you. I just want to let you know that at the time, at age 22, diapers were disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. I want you to know today, with a lot of diapers under my belt, diapers are disgusting. <laughs> Nothing has changed. There are parents who do this, you know, when it's your own kids, you won't mind. They are lying. They are lying to you. It is a lie from the pit of hell itself, breathed by Satan in smoke. Okay? When you have a 15-month-old and it has exploded out the sides and crawled up the back, it is disgusting. No genetics change it. It is disgusting. Have you ever refused to do something that you thought was disgusting? I worked with a girl, okay, I worked with a woman named Stacy when I worked at the gas station here in Nicholasville. Stacy refused to clean the bathroom. Now, to her credit, drunks would come in, and when you're drunk, you don't have good aim. You really don't. And I will admit, the bathroom would get pretty disgusting. But Stacy, that's not my job. You did not hire me. I am not touching that bathroom. In fact, when Stacy had to go during her shift, she would get in her car and drive to Kroger <laughs> to go to the bathroom and then come back. And I don't blame her. <laughs> Mike Rowe, Mike Rowe has an entire TV series, right, devoted to this, Dirty Jobs. And he he will cover all kinds of things, wastewater treatment plant operators, uh, golf ball divers, um, you know, just things that you wouldn't think were real jobs. People who work on a horse farm, there's a, there's a member of our church family who mucks stalls on a regular basis. Trust me. Remember that word I've mentioned several times? It's disgusting. It just is, okay? And so I, th I think that it's problematic for us as a country. Okay, Mike, Mike, Mike Lesage works in a wastewater, wastewater treatment plant. And Mike tells me that, what is it, two-thirds of wastewater treatment plant operators are going to retire in the next 10 years? Next five years? Okay, so two-thirds of the nation's wastewater treatment plant operators are going to retire in the next five years. You know what that means? In a decade, many of us will not have drinkable water coming out of our taps in America. And then they're going to, people in Britain are going to be like, oh, you're traveling to the States. Don't drink the water. <laughs> it will give you the runs. <laughs> okay? It's, it's bad. It's bad. Can we acknowledge, can we just acknowledge that we, ha we in America have a problem with the disgusting? We have a problem with dirty jobs. We have a problem because, oh, that's not my job. There are too many of us that on the inside we think that certain things are either too disgusting or beneath us or, you know, that's somebody else's task, that's somebody else's. 
nowhere is this more evident than on a college campus. If you're at college today, I apologize to you that I'm singling you out. You can beat me later. But on, pick a major university campus and a dorm room, a guy's dorm room. Some of you have not visited guys' doors, guys doors rooms. Blah. It's disgusting in its own right. But guys love to do pranks. Sometimes they'll do water wars on the inside. It's a ton of fun, and it gets water everywhere. It gets the carpet that's just glued to a cement floor to where it squishes when you step on it. Guys love to do pranks with shaving cream, Oreo cookies, just name it. And so nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten, guess who cleans up the prank? The janitor. The janitor. And you will hear them, and, and in many college campuses, it's a janitor who's not an American citizen. It's somebody who's moved here. And you will hear uttered out of these young men's mouths, well, it's their job. They're lucky to have it. Can we just acknowledge that that attitude has no place coming out of the lips of anyone who says they love Jesus? Can we acknowledge that this morning? In fact, that attitude smacks right up against a very key thing about Jesus' kingdom and who Jesus is as a person. In Jesus' kingdom, the way up is down. If you want to lead or become great, you have to become the least and serve. And that's how it works. And if you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. It's the first book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, so Matthew's the first. See, you got the song. Okay, all right, I won't get excited. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. It's like 2020, the old TV show that us old people used to watch all the time with Hugh Downs. Okay, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. So we're just going to get right into the text, okay? Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectively to ask a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. I love this. This woman right here, the mother of James and John, is a woman named Salome. That's how I pronounce her name. People pronounce it differently, but Salome. Salome, church tradition says, was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. That makes Salome Jesus who? Aunt. aunt or aunt, depending upon whether you raise properly or not. Okay? So Jesus' aunt is coming to him, kneels. So clearly, even though she's his aunt, she senses that he's a respectable rabbi. He's somebody that is, in a sense, an authority over her. Okay? And she makes this request and what she's asking is uh the the right and left in that culture in many of the cultures back then those were um, places of authority and power both the right and the left and so it's kind of like uh it's in today's vo vernacular today's vocabulary it would be like asking could my sons james and john when you reach the oval office could they be your uh, vice president and secretary of state or vice president and chief of staff or however that works in the hierarchy. Okay, So she's asking, and in her mind, she's, okay, 
you're a king, you're going to come into your kingdom, and I know how that works. And when a new kingdom comes in, there's, there's a new administration. There's all these new people. And I want my sons, James and John, to be at the very top of all those new people who come in when you take the throne. Awesome. Look at Jesus' response. It's the next several verses. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied. We're able. That's James and John speaking there. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. All right? Jesus answered by saying to them, who made the request? Jesus' aunt, Salome, but his reply is directed to plural. In fact, in the Greek, you is you second person plural the way we would say it in the South, y'all, okay? So Jesus answered by saying to all of them, you all don't know what you're asking. So Jesus is including James and John in this request, meaning he was aware of the fact that they wanted these spots, and maybe they asked their aunt, maybe their aunt, knowing that they wanted these spots, asked on their behalf, but there's this dynamic going on, and James and John are like, yeah, sounds good to us. Yeah, yeah, right? Number one, number two, got it, okay? You don't know what you're, you're, are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Jesus knows that his kingdom is going to be so utterly and completely different than the way any other kingdom has ever been run. He makes this statement. The cup of suffering is the cross. He knows he's going to be crucified and he's going to die. And he's challenging them and asking them, you... You really going to follow in my footsteps? Well, James actually becomes the first martyr of the church. He's the first person killed. So John lives to a ripe old age, <laughs> but suffers exile and everything else. So it gets to the end, and he basically says, Hey, in my kingdom, I don't even decide who's there. It's my father who makes that decision. It's not even up to me. So sorry I can't help you. I love what happens next. Are you getting how much I love this text? I love this text. I love this text because I so identify with the disciples. I grew up in America. I'm trained by America. I think like an American. And then there's Jesus' ways that are trying to get that American thinking out of my mind and out of my heart. Let's look at the next several verses, verses 24 and following. When the other ten disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were elated. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you choke. <laughs> When James and John heard what they what had they asked, they were pleasantly surprised. They were euphoric. They were happy for their friends. No, what does the text say? They were indignant. They were indignant. But Jesus called them, again plural, all of them together, and said, You know the rulers in this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, among you all, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you all must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you all must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. They were indignant. They were not necessarily indignant because James and John and Salome had asked because we see several other times in the Gospels where they're all bucking to see who's going to be number one and number two in Jesus' kingdom. And they're constantly having discussions amongst, them, amongst themselves as the 12 disciples. Okay, there's 12 of us. Now, who's number one and who's number two and who's number three and who, okay, oh, you know. And remember all the times where Jesus will pull away Peter, James, and John and then the other nine are like really happy about that. Oh, Jesus, that's so awesome. You got to spend extra time with them. That's great. No, what's their typical response? Wah! How's come you didn't take us? How's come you didn't take me? I'm special like they are. <gasps> Jesus. <laughs> okay? So all of the so they're indignant. They're indignant because they're worried that the that James and John are actually going to get some action because the person who's asking is Jesus' aunt. In this moment, they're like, oh, oh, crud. They're going to, this is, she's asking for them. Ugh. They are seething indignant because they think the family relationship is going to trump and James and John are going to get these slots. That's why they're frustrated and they're mad. And Jesus uses two words here. Among you will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader must be your servant. Diakonos. Diakonos. A hired hand is what that word meant in the first century. A diakonos is um, what you would hire. Uh, you would pay a young uh, girl or a young woman, sorry ladies, to stand at the door of your place and her job was to wash all the mud and manure and all of the stuff from the roads and the street off of the feet of the people who entered. She would be wearing not much except a basic covering because she'd be getting very wet in the process of doing this washing. It was a disgusting job. It was people's feet. And you would pay a diakonos to do that. So this word had meaning to all of the people who heard it, and especially the people who read this text, because he's saying, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be the president, you need to be a diakonos. Huh? Yes. And it gets worse from that. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your doulos. Doulos is a slave. It's somebody who doesn't even have rights of their own. They're property of someone else. And those are the two words that Jesus used to describe how you get advanced in his kingdom. You become a hired servant and a slave. Paul took those two terms and he made them into titles. He would often refer to himself as a diakonos of Christos, a servant of Christ, or a doulos of Christos, which is a slave of Christ. And in fact, in the first few centuries, bishops would often, that's how they would sign letters and whatnot, you know, Bishop Artaxerxes or whatever, you know, doulos to Christu, okay? So, Jesus' kingdom, are you starting to pick up on this? Isn't firing the way other kingdoms fire. It isn't run the way other kingdoms are run. It's different. It's different, okay? But you and I, you and I are conditioned in America. We are. 
we're conditioned in America to operate the way America operates. And in America, you got to look out for number one. Let me say that again. you got to look out for number one. And who's number one? Now, wait a minute. There seems to be disagreement. Who's number one? Everybody, you keep all talking to yourselves, and that's just going to lead to conflict, and it's going to be messy because all of you are thinking you're number one, and then the other person thinks they're number one. That's not going to go to a happy place. I do this in marriage counseling, by the way. <laughs> okay? Right? This, this plays out. What, when, stereotypical conversation. You have a friend that's talking about a restaurant they like, a restaurant they go to frequently, and out of your mouth you can't even help it. It's what you, you either like it or don't like it. Well, I don't like there. Or I like this. Boom. You know, you've got to kind of trump their like with what you like. And it's how we roll. It's reinforced through social media. Facebook, Twitter, come on. All of those things are mechanisms to show us that we are, in fact, number one. I mean, on my Facebook feed, I'm number one. <laughs> in my Facebook timeline, guess what the center of all the hubs are? Me! In Google+, Plus, it works the same way. I'm at the center. Everything else kind of spins around me. It's really weird how that works. I love the way um, the guy who wrote Blue Like Jazz, Donald Miller, he said, I grew up for the longest time, and in the longest time of my life, I just thought life was a movie, and because I was in every scene, that meant I was the hero. I was the star of the movie. It was about, the movie was about me. Because when I closed my eyes, the movie went away. And then when I opened my eyes... The movie was playing again, and there I was in the center of everything. It was just weird, okay? None of this, none of this stuff, the me first, look out for number one, reinforced by social media, none of this is how Jesus' kingdom works. It's not how Jesus rolls. It's not how his kingdom works. Um, and let's be frank. When you're looking out for number one and when everybody's looking out for number one, that's not beautiful, that's not attractive, and that's not compelling. It isn't. So here's where this hits the road, right? Let me give you some practical things. At home, at home, you live with someone, unless you live by yourself, and then I can't help you. But many of us live in a context where there are other people in what the police call the domicile. <laughs> okay? There are other people in there. In, in that home, there are things that need to be done. There are. There are things that need to be done. Do one of those things without being asked. Serve, diakonos, doulos. Uh, we were over at a friend's house Friday night and for dinner, and as she was getting things ready, she commented on the things that were on her stove loudly so her teenage daughters could hear. You know, these are from last night. The snack that certain people had, they're still here went right over their heads she had this expectation she even said you would think dot 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 no you didn't enter their mind at all so again if there's something here's a practical way you can practice diakonos doulos if you see something that needs to be done do it without being asked don't wait for somebody else you just do it I want to talk to you men for a second I've been in too many settings with another guy I'm nobody in this room but I've been in too many settings with another guy who had young kids and they're watching their son, their daughter, whatever, and there's a poopy diaper explosion or a poopy diaper nest plays out. And out of their mouth is, well, the wife's going to be home in... Some of you are gasping. <laughs> the wife will be home in 20 minutes. She can take care of that. 
on behalf of Jesus, let me say this in slow motion. No. Okay. Change the diaper. <laughs> Change the diaper, okay? Um, some of you, it's going to come in the form of missing out. You're going to see something that needs to be done, and in order to do it, it's going to take you away from the action and excitement. And if you're a woo on the strengths finder or you're an extrovert, it's going to kill you on the inside. It is. Trust me. I, I was there. The Taste of Jesmond County. It's this big event. There's like 800 and some people at this event. And my organization was one of the organizations being featured that I believe in strongly, the food pantry. And so, but they needed stuff. And guess who they asked to go get the stuff? Me. So I had to get in my car and I missed 30% of the event. Going off to Sam's. All by myself, I went to Sam's, okay? And, and then I came back, and I missed this whole chunk. Wah! I missed the time that the food pantry got highlighted. I missed that. I missed some of the auction stuff. Wah! But you know what? The chamber people who helped put that on, I want to tell you that when I have an opinion or I, I think something now, I have their ear. They want to hear what I have to say. I didn't get that because I'm smart or a snappy dresser. I got that because I served. One of the things you'll find is that when you're a diakonos and a doulos, it opens doors and it opens people's hearts. God knew this is how people are, which is why Jesus rolled the way he did. He literally served his way into people's hearts in the first century and beyond. He did, all right? Let me ask some questions. Let me ask some questions. Question number one that I would love for you to ask yourself in light of this passage. Why do I pass opportunities to serve? Why do I pass opportunities to serve? Is it that I don't see them? Is that I'm, is that I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on something? Is it because if I'm not going to be recognized or petted on the back, it's like not worth it? Why do I pass opportunities to serve? And then another question what would happen at your house if nobody did the dishes, paid the bills, you know, or did the laundry, or, you know, some of you are like, well, it just means mom went on strike. No, really. <laughs> what would happen in your house? What would happen in this house if people stopped setting up, or loving on kids, or teenagers, or taking care of babies? Not happy things. I want you to know that everybody struggles with this diakonos doulos, Okay. Even people who are hardwired to be doers struggle with this. Every person that has ever come my way who's come out of the seminary chute has struggled with this. Pastor Isaiah, many of you remember him? Pastor Isaiah struggled with this. I'll tell a Pastor Isaiah story that I, you know, has been told more than once. When he was a young man, he was paid money to muck some horse stalls. And instead of mucking the horse stalls himself... He took that money and offered, what, half of it to a cousin of his to do the work for him so he didn't have to. Some of you are like, whoa, that is slick. Yes, but it is not a way to advance in Jesus' kingdom. And so he learned service. Everybody, I've, I've had to learn service. When I was the executive pastor at our mother congregation, I would have two or three seminary interns a semester, okay? And I would do my best to convince those men and women to get involved in children's ministries and to serve there. And I would tell them, if you work with kids or youth, I promise you, 
when it comes to your teaching and whatnot, you'll get honest feedback. The grown-ups will lie to your face. You will do stuff with the grown-ups, and they will say, that was nice, that was wonderful, it was a good word. And on the way home, they will gossip about you. So serve where you're going to get honest feedback. And one after another, the whole lot of them. Well, I'm just not called to, you know. And I'd be like, can I just say, however many years later, duh, you know, when it comes to feeling called, I feel called to have six best-selling books. I feel called to, you know, have my sermons listened to by millions of people. Don't you feel called for greatness? You know, duh, we all feel called for that. You don't feel the calling for diakonos and doulos. It's a choice, it's a decision to pick up the towel and basin like Jesus did and do what needs to be done. Um, so, some more practical things. If you're married, if you're married and you find yourself in a context where you feel like, you know, I don't like myself right now because I just feel like I'm nagging all the time. Let me give you a 30-day experiment. So just stop. Instead of, I need you, I want you to, you know, stop that and simply approach your spouse with this. What can I do for you this week? Is there anything you need? I guarantee toward the end of the 30 days, your spouse, even the most oblivious of men, we will notice. Huh? What? Huh? You know. They will think you have become enlightened. <laughs> but it, it often generates reciprocity. Okay? Uh, we learn this in dynamic marriage, by the way. Okay? So there's a If you're a teenager and you're mad at your parents all the time, you feel like your parents are jerks, they don't listen, okay? And you've got the whole list. I would encourage you, stop complaining and just start helping out. You will find that, again, halfway into the month, all of a sudden your parents will be like, you know, you're a sharp kid, you know. <laughs> again, this is how service works. This is the effect of what service has on people. And so I want to remind you generations that at Generations Community Church, we value getting your hands dirty. We value diakonos and doulos in this family. Because we know the way to become great in Jesus' kingdom is by becoming the least and by serving. Um, let me give you a practical uh, example of, of the impact this can have just outside the walls of a church. A few weeks ago, I sat down with a, one of my mentor friends, Charles, who for many years was pastor of uh, Community Church of Greenwood, which is just outside of Indianapolis. And their church, for years and years and years, would um, send backpack food to the schools, would give school supplies uh, to the kids that were identified as being in need by the school system. Uh, they would come in and do all kinds of stuff for the school system. They allowed graduation and other events to happen in their facilities because they had a big mammoth facility. They would allow them to meet there and have those events for free. I know there are people around here where, you know, in the South that you know, do that, but there's rent. You know, it's quid pro quo. You know, they're getting rent. His church, yeah, you all come in. You can have graduation. You can do whatever you want. It's free. You know, school system. So there came a moment where, and it had something to do with the sex education curriculum. And the school system adopted something that the community church of Greenwood felt wasn't cool and wasn't good for kids in their path of, you know, sexuality, right? And so the school system... The superintendent, after some back and forth, called Charles and said, I want you to know that we've dropped the curriculum and we're not going to do it. 
not because there was a protest, not because there was a petition, not because any of your people came to a meeting, but because of how much you've done for the school system. And the fact that you guys aren't comfortable with it is enough for us to drop it. That's influence. And you get that by serving. And I want to say Jesus has earned that time and time again by what he did for you and me. So in a, I'm going to pray and we're going to watch something that you've seen before. But here's my assignment while you're watching this video, right? While you're watching this video about Jesus, I want you to think of just one thing, one thing today or this week that you could do where you could literally serve. Just do something that needs to be done and in so doing, mimic Jesus. Right? 